welcome to the Halsey of March show and today I am talking to Anan Saletti. is an interfaith occult teacher and ordained minister even though her formal education is nursing and emergency medicine according to study world religions captured her attention at early age with 28 years of research and practice of rituals and Anselesi collaborates and still teaches coronial scripture from different denominations and backgrounds through private and public workshops it is her intention to create spaces for people to ask questions and find answers about complementary and ancient practices she hosts knowledge from behind the veil a pagan inclined podcast for rift network hi and then and how are you today I'm very thankful and very, very thankful, very grateful for being here today with you. Now, can you explain a little bit about your bio, about the ancient beliefs? Uh, absolutely. I've always been fascinated with old classics like the Iliad and, and Plato and Socrates. So uh, when I got a hold of of the Divine Comedy when I was 13 years old, I knew that I was hooked. I knew that that was something that I really wanted to immerse myself in, in ancient beliefs, ancient stories. And I was already on a path of self-defining spirituality, to put it that way. So I really needed to see where it all started. I'm a very analytical person, so I need that cause and effect type of explanation. And that led me to dig in everything that had to do with the religion of the place that I grew up in. It was mainly Christian. And I wanted to find out more about that. Aside from being devotees, aside from the faithful, the pure backcourse story of what we have and we know regarding our place in the world, to say the least. So that's mainly how it started. Uh, what inspired guess, you to get into this? Sorry? What life event inspired you to suddenly look into this more deeply? Wow. Uh, I, <laughs> it, is, it is a very funny story. I guess I was in a place in my life that I needed to know for sure that there was something bigger than myself out there. Uh, I was always obsessed with everything that had to do with science and if I wanted to find something that I could actually, not prove, but to have something tangible that I could actually study. I, I needed to find all those answers and it wasn't, and I, I also knew that I wanted to dedicate my life to that. <laughs> Believe it or not, by my, I was, uh, how may I say this? I, I lived in many places when I was growing up. I was never fixed in one place. So I was, uh, I was 
shown many ways of people reaching or trying to find out about their own spirituality in especially when it comes to witchcraft there is this thing that i say that the most devout monotheistic people being uh christian judaism or even islam and other faiths they have a core archaeological reason why they share so many things with the pagan cultures and back then i was in a catholic academy i started noticing that the more that i studied the more links i could draw from what we practice right now and those ancient rituals that we get to read and see in documentaries and i wanted to find out why and the only the only reason that i could think about was trying to uncover something this big secret when in reality it's not a big secret it's just we don't pay attention to it that definitive moment in my life was was i was at the brink of choosing being a carmelite nun i was going to do what i set out to do it was a life of service a life of uh of dedicating myself not only to god but to the church and at the same time when i started noticing certain things certain ans- uh, certain questions that wouldn't be answered that's when i said to myself i better know what i'm getting myself into it's like getting into an arranged marriage you really have to be sure if you're going in blind i didn't want to go in blind so that's how it all started when i was 15 years old and i think that was that was the catalyst that was the catalyst i was put in a position whether or not i believe what i said i was believing in so I'm a terrible liar so I had to say I had to tell the priest I'm sorry there is a lot of questions that I need answered first and I never looked back. Well there's a, I mean when you look at religions especially the Christian religion they have borrowed a lot from the pagan beliefs. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was one of my first I wasn't surprised. I, it just made me laugh. the father i dig the more correlations i found into the development of those new religions and when i say new religions i meant everything that was after the bible was written or may i say edited for the sake of creating this whole new movement but the more i the more i thought about it uh beliefs and practices have this very unique way of surviving even though they change or they go through this metamorphosis it's the same dog with a different collar i used to tell people but it's the same thing yeah i think it's, it's become thing. more under the wicker um uh, banner yes. now isn't it i was that talking was to someone earlier about this sorry i was talking to someone earlier about this about the connection with paganism and that was raised by people that had after five generations of practicing spiritualism and that is not the same thing as being wiccan or it it's a combination of mediumship with channeling uh it was very famous during the 20s and the 30s especially during the war when widows and parents of the soldiers would seek mediums and 
channelers to actually trying to contact the spirit of the dead. I I have f- I found that my great great grandfather and so did his son and so did um, her. Uh, my grandmother also practice it. It wasn't something that we should we'd advertise or none of us would advertise, but it was treated with respect. And the minute that I realized that my grandmother being, she was an educator, she was a superintendent, she worked for the educational department. So uh, it was a serious person that actually valued information and valued proof. So that's how I started to study it, to practice it on the other hand. By the time that I realized that I had been practicing ritual ever since I was seven years old, it was quite a shock to me, because to me, all of that was very normal. And when somebody from the outside, oh, that's witchcraft, and I said, what witchcraft? What is witchcraft? I wasn't acquainted with that specific term. and. The people that I knew didn't know about Wiccans either, so it was a very negative connotation. Um, and that's exactly the, the first information that I received, that it was something bad, that it was sort of, uh, something demonic. And opening the doors for something negative to happen, even though I never saw it that way, I never felt it that way, and that was never my experience. On the other hand, I realized that that was a cultural thing in the place that I grew up when I grew up in the Caribbean. And these were very devout people. They were very Christian. So, of course, they were going to have a bias to anything that didn't have to do with their type of practices and their type of ritual and belief. I watched a program about Buddhism. I found it very interesting because they showed you the good side and the bad side. And I think that every, whatever belief you believe in, it's the way you treat it, if whether you want to use it for good or bad. I don't think, I think it's people that use it, not, not the actual belief. And you are absolutely correct. That's another thing that I was absolutely sure. I have met a lot of people that during their Sunday they would go to church and by the time they would come back home, they were actually conjuring something to hurt their neighbor. So to me, it was very clear that it's not the practice per se, it's the individual. When it comes to witchcraft, they either want to put you in the category of light or the category of the darkness. If a person, and I deal with people like this, and some of my students started this way, that they're in a very dark tunnel that they're very depressed, they're very angry at their life and the people around them. And they only want to seek satisfaction or revenge or in their minds protecting themselves from those people that are trying to harm them than the consequences. And unfortunately, they only found out that by doing that, they were getting deeper and deeper into that dark hole. Then we have these other types of people that consider themselves to be selfish, to be self-serving, or to be completely unaffected by what happens to other people. And yet, they are still capable of doing something completely selfless, with no attachments, with no thanks. So it isn't every one of us to do harm or to do something good with it. 
is part of the human condition. But to label it as an absolute, that somebody's all light or somebody's just completely lost in darkness, it's, uh, it's false and, and fortunately, fortunately, it only takes awareness to figure that one out. Well, I have a weird theory, and I don't mean this offensively, so don't take it wrong. I believe that God is a schizophrenic. And my, the reason behind this... I have heard that before. <laughs> uh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, my theory is because God... We are made to be made, believed to be made in God's image, as it quotes in many uh, Bibles and religious beliefs. And we are both good and evil. So that's my little theory. I find it amazing how by a couple of years ago, I was having this conversation with uh, this, this pastor and his assistant, and I couldn't help myself, and I asked him, have you really read this book? From, not from a religious point, not from a faith-based point, like a textbook, have you ever read it this way? And he said, no. Because it's it's amazing. It looks like an account from a uh, a person that has severe dissociative mental disorder. Uh, <laughs> and then I mentioned, is it? Yeah, he's fully schizophrenic. And on top of it, he has the ego of a god, literally. So if we are created from his image, then there is a lot to say. There is a lot to say about his his makeup. As a deity, there is this scientist that he was asked, why don't you have faith? Why don't you believe in God? And his, his answer was priceless. It's, there is only two things to say yay or nay about God. If he is all good and all powerful, then he really has some serious issues. So before I fall into the category of people that think that God hates them, I prefer to pretend that he's just not there. And <laughs> that, that says a lot. It says a lot. We were raised, especially after, after this church break, broke away, thanks to, the, uh, to Martin Luther, and the Protestant movement came about and got disintegrated to the point that it's almost unrecognizable from what happened in the Council of Nicaea and the intent of the Emperor Constantine for the uh, for the Christian Church to be like, which was completely based in pagan mythologies and pagan rituals. To this day, still, it is the way it is. It wasn't until then that people started ignoring, on purpose, all the sociopathic, all the murders uh, that are depicted in the Bible as favors of God or as a punishment or as something that it just needed to do because he had an agenda. And we fell into the trap of being afraid of that God, uh, God figure, that father figure, to a terrifying, let's not disturb him because he will punish us. He loves us so much that he prepared a place in the middle of the void so we're not close to him. All of those things can be very 
traumatic for any believer. I know that it, it's really traumatic for me. <coughs> Sorry. But people pretend or try, they're so afraid of the concept of what is God? Who is he? Is it a she, a she or just a force or, or what have you? We are afraid to ask certain questions because we're afraid of the punishment. And that type of thinking prevents people from ever moving forward. And then they cherry pick and they pick and choose whatever rules they think that they can get away with. So that's another thing that it's that is still to this day very funny to me. Well, I, I know for a fact that I saw a series on Channel 5 over here in the UK about the um, female disciples and the fact that Emperor Constantine wrote them out of the Bible. There is hundreds of examples in the Bible of female prophets, teachers, or central figures to the, to the different stories. Uh, it's a real shame that it's either the mother, the, the prostitute, or... <laughs> wow. Or the traitor. So... We have to understand that, unfortunately, unfortunately, for back then, females were not, they were seen as property. They had the same value as a donkey, but since they had to come up with a, with a cohesive story of why things happened the way that they happened, they had to put women into that category. Either they're witches and liars and conjurers and seducers, or they are this pure and pious, which very few women in the Bible actually enjoyed that category. And I can only think of two examples, two or three examples. Yes, but, women but, full of flaws. Yes? Like you said, when you said, if you read it as a textbook that like you just mentioned, you'll be thinking, my God, this is so politically incorrect. Back then, it was perfectly normal. Back then, men would actually marry off their daughters after being raped, as long as the perpetrator would actually ask for their her hand in ma marriage, he would not go to jail or face prosecution, and the young lady or the child would actually find a husband, and then he would have to pay repair, uh, repair to the child's uh, father. It's very cultural. Now, for us, it would be considered barbaric. 3,000, 4,000 years ago, it was every day, uh, Tuesday, uh, every Tuesday. So it's all about the cultural aspects of it. And we have to be aware of that, too. Do you think over time that... Um, I don't mean this to be offensive, but like, you know when you say a story, I will use an example. You catch a fish in the river, and you go back home, you say... Oh, that fish was at least four foot long, but it was only like three inches or something. Because you want to exaggerate a little bit. I'm not saying that Bible, the Quran, or anything is exaggerated, but we all do it. It's a natural process that humans do. Do you think that's possible? Uh, there is. A, there was a joke of a specific um, religious figure that was done in the 80s that said, 
we don't lie, we just exaggerate. And I found it really funny because uh, that is another part of our human condition. And at the same time, we have to realize that in the same way that today, you can find a person that, for example, believes in angels, but just as an abstract. And then we have other people that would swear that they have seen them, interacted with them, being saved by them, having full-blown conversations with an ethereal being. Back then, when a man would say, I went to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and I received revelation, he would become a prophet. Nowadays, anybody would say something, somebody, something like that, they will win a seven-day stay at a mental institution. So, or, or a magazine deal. Stories. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the Rift Network? That's okay. Can you tell me a little bit about the Rift Network? Because I like the concept, and I just wish, like the listeners, to understand a little bit more about it. The Rift Network, uh, they have been my teachers. They have been my friends. They have been this amazing family of not only podcasters but they're also teachers on their own respect they they were it was founded by uh mr howie odell and miss sheila gay and they have all this they they have grouped up very different shows different shows every night with different topics some of them are paranormal some of them are highly spiritual we have social commentary and it is, we, cre- they, we created this network to give a voice with a wide range of topics, like I said, from spiritual, paranormal, authors, to crime, cryptozoology, including Bigfoot, Yetis, unidentified flying objects, uh, culture legends like Slenderman, and, and so much more. I, I could talk on and on of all the different topics that they have covered and we're going to cover throughout the, the year. But it is a very close-knit family that we have helped each other. I have been, I didn't know anything about podcasting until I arrived in the network. Most of the time I was doing interviews with other people like I'm doing right now. And that's how Mr. Odell actually found me. He in, in, interviewed me in his show last year. And that's how this whole thing started. Do you enjoy podcasting? I did. I, I did making lives on, on YouTube, but, and because I also do YouTube, and I started doing it the Facebook lives uh, last year, too. And I thought that even though my brother had given me the advice about three years ago, you should do a podcast, I I wasn't sure until I did it, and it really changed my life. It really changed my life because we can reach people at a very deep level. Uh, I'm a person that loves radio. I'm not, not exactly a TV person. So... And those tidbits of information, you never know who you're going to help. So that was my main motivation, at least in the beginning, 
to actually have that podcast to talk about the things that nobody else wanted to talk about for fear of being judged I <laughs> I I hide behind that screen and hide behind that microphone and it gives you a freedom that I wouldn't change it for anything in the world well that's how I started I started back in 22nd of the 12th 2017 I thought no I like to talk and I like to talk to people and find out about things so I'll give it a go and I think I'm doing all right I've got quite a lot of people that like me I managed to even get my own offered a radio show on a different network who let me do a live show on a Sunday which is interesting it's a different concept doing a radio show to podcasting but I like the idea. I like a challenge, and I like. I agree with you. You can hide behind the microphone, because I find YouTube can be a bit restrictive sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. That is true. And another good point about audio, and this is probably concerns men and women. If you do a late night podcast, and it's like three o'clock in the morning. Like he's here. <laughs> I could be in my pajamas and it doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. That was one of the perks. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to do your but you don't have to rush around doing your makeup or in a man's case, probably drilling your hair or making sure your T shirt looks exactly the right shade and you've had a shave and all that kind of thing. blessing when you can have your 24th century uh, dream job to say the least and you don't have to get out of your pajamas that's one of the perks and I have a very simple setup I don't know what your setup is my setup is a smartphone app that I'm recording with now and I'm talking to you with an Amazon Fires tablet and that is as technical as I ever want to get (laughs) by the time I arrived to the Riff Network and started doing the show per se as a podcast. I was already being a, a YouTuber for a couple of years. So I had to get acquainted with all the quirks of boards, but never for a radio show, though. That uh, took me a while to learn how to play with a console and, and check that everything was good. I am not a really social media type of person, but I force myself to learn that in this day and age, we don't get our information like we used to, that was only on the the television and the newscast in the television. Now it's through social media. That's how connections are being made. That's how people find not only their information, but contacts. And I find it fascinating how technology has taken us to this place in this day and age. Well, it's being able to talk to people in different countries. Like, I can talk to you now. I'm time traveling, technically, and talking to you in another country at the same time. Because people say, you're not time traveling. But of course I am, technically, because it's 0.33 a.m. as I'm speaking to you in the UK. And I think it's gone... Seven o'clock Californian time. It's seven thirty-three at night. 
Yes. So there you are. We are take me. I am in the next day, and you are still in the previous day. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> people, people think that theory's. I'm mad about this theory, but then when I explained it to him, I said it's not a proven theory, but I, I have technically time travelled. The quantum leap. It's, it, 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 yeah, I used to love that show. I watched. I I watched it when it wasn't a cult series. I like. I liked it when it, it used to be on a channel over here called BBC Two, and I watched it from the first episode right to the last episode. And people uh, people only got into it by the, about the second season. And I said to them, "Oh no, I've been watching it for a long time. It's one of those shows that grew as a cult show." don't we we take this technology that we we as human beings have created we take it completely for granted and it's like it, it, it's become like a uh, a fodder for play I would call it you know the silly stuff that goes on the internet which I don't mind but some of it goes a bit OTT-ish say it's a theory that I don't know if you believe in UFOs or not but that the aliens have visited us oh, you would be surprised. are actually <laughs> human beings or us revisiting ourselves because we've advanced so much and but, it makes sense if you think about it uh, if you try to analyze how human beings would look like in a distant future description of the grey would come to mind. Bigger heads, small limbs, because we're not going to be used them as much. So, 
and the communication between human beings, it is changing. Now it is a little easier for people to be comfortable uh, being an empath and being telepathic. So it's not a far-fetched theory, if, but thinking about it is kind of sad because what happened in the future? The rest of the theory is that um, something happened, we did something that we could no longer reproduce. And that's one, one of the stories and one of the theories for why they come back and they do experiments or collect samples of tissue or so on and so forth. That's one of the most popular theories that there is out there. I wonder if it's to do with global warming. Because I know people say global warming does not exist. I think um, this year is proving that it does exist. This is a a scientific fact. And the, the sad part of the whole story is that if it wasn't for the interests of big corporations, if it wasn't for the money flowing back and forth from gas and petroleum and all of those natural resources to make fuel, we would have, since Nikola Tesla's uh, discoveries of how to use and distribute light more effective, uh, electricity, electricity more effectively, we wouldn't be using carbon-based fuels to this day. But unfortunately, we have to we have to take care of our own planet because if we wait until the governments do, our grandchildren will not have a happy place to live. Now, do you believe that I was talking to someone about the connection of if we all join together? Now, I'll give you an example. Um, sure. Armistice Day or Remembrance Day, the whole world stops for two minutes. We all join in respect for those who died both sides, and the innocents that died as well. We all join together in this mass silence. Now, if I was an alien flying around and visiting, I'd think, wow, that's impressive. I, that is the best way of putting it. We have to put ourselves in their shoes. Because if that is if that is true, if the UFO, alien, or not not only extraterrestrial but intraterrestrial alien theory, why would they intervene? Why would they try? We are an, we are an, a very unique species that try to kill ourselves and kill everything that we have around us. So it's based on violence and territory and. Very archaic beliefs. Maybe they're just waiting that we evolve a little bit. Maybe, just maybe. Well, the potential's there, isn't it? To protect us from blowing, from blowing ourselves up. You look at the good deeds people do. They don't get mentioned sometimes because it's the bad news that has to be on all the time. Those are the ones that sell, I guess. So, I think. I mean, obviously, if a tragedy happens, it's sad. And like the one in Italy lately with the boot bridge. And I feel sorry for all the people that have had to go into the funerals and had to tell, uh, go into Vendivai bodies and all that. It's not a great job. And they get underrated. 
they get forgotten about. Yeah, that is true. The world is full of tragedies, preventive tragedies. And we're addicted to pain. We're addicted to drama. We're addicted uh, to what I call lives of soap opera, that everything has to be a tragedy. And like you said, when people join in, in a moment of silence or in a moment of prayer or in a moment of meditation, like, I think it was, uh, it was at the beginning of this month that there is this global movement, harmonic convergence, that at the same time all over the world people actually start meditating on trying to mend and heal what it's broken. That is a very powerful thing and you would be surprised how many people out there are trying to do these events more frequently and to reach farther. Now we can do that, in, for example, in Facebook and or in YouTube, but most than not is, fa is Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where people get together to do these types of, I call it healing ceremonies, because that's what we need. Yes, I think we've got, I think, as you I quite agree, because I still think that we have an element of early man still in us, because early man had to adapt to the situation, the nature of the environment that he lived in. So therefore, he had to be highly perceptive. I think that little bit of element is still in us. Because we recognise how important it is. We, even though, even though, and I have to admit it, that in the last 30 years, we have become more and more dependent to technology and what I called uh, fake food. <laughs> we got addicted to all of those things. But more and more, people fighting cancer and fighting other things that could have been prevented if it wasn't for our habits and our way of... of feeding ourselves and the contamination of our environment. Now we have, we know what we did. We are recognizing what we did. And now we're getting out of that stage that let somebody else clean it, let somebody else do it. I saw this, uh, it wasn't a documentary, it was more like a news piece. This lawyer in India, India has a horrible contamination problem. <coughs> and he decided to take it upon himself to actually clean the beach that he grew up in. I wish you could have you could have seen the tons and tons and thousands of tons of trash and just one person that involved his community. And then the government felt a little ashamed that they were not doing anything, so they joined the fund and they got to clean that beach. Some, uh, something that, they, that the scientific community said that it could take over 10 years, 20 years to clean up. He did it in two years. So there is hope. There is people out there that really care. So I'm still cheering for them. I'm still cheering for us. I think, I think we have to. Uh, I, think, yes. I think we are... As you say, I think we've come up 
I call it Popcorn for the Brain Society. Because you think of it, it why do why why did I say popcorn? Because you eat a little bit, you think oh, I want a bit more. I oh, know I have never a bit, and we come a bit like goldfish. We <laughs> we watch things, and we don't retain it because it's yeah. become the same thing. You can watch, just say, Love Island, for. Weed and one, for example, and then you can watch another show, and it'll be exact copy of it, exactly the same formation as that. Everything they'll call it a different name. And you're thinking, I watch yes. this, and you just switch off. It's zombie television. Somebody told me that that long ago that we ran out of ideas, so we're going to recycle what best works to keep us entertained. So I guess that when they find some a formula that quote unquote works to keep us in line, and like you said, the golf uh, the fish or the goldfish that has a six point zero second time lapse of attention. Yes, we are the kind of creatures that we will look for the new shiny thing and we have been sold all these impossible things to reach so we are living a pretend life every time that we turn on the television or we watch a movie we want we want to be like the hero we want to be the superhero or the spy or uh, or in some cases for some people the serial killer or <laughs> Or the bad guy. I don't. I mean, don't don't be wrong. I'm not, I don't. I, I like escapism like anybody else because that's what it is. Escapism. I mean, when you actually yes. was to watch a film properly, and you was just you was play, you'd sit down explain the film to someone. They were going, he did what? He went on a skyscraper, and it was burning, and he didn't get burnt, and then he jumped through a window, and he didn't get cut. You know, like in these action films, they never yeah. get cut, they never get burnt. But we completely believe it for one hour and 30 minutes or whatever long film it is. Because we want to. Because that's how it works. Indeed. <laughs> that is true. We need that window. We need that moment. The same with a good, the same with a good conversation. When you have a good debate, and both sides are having, you know, <laughs> you might disagree a little bit, but it doesn't get heated. You just shake your hand and say, "Come on, that was a really good debate." I still don't believe what you say, but I like what you, how you come across. That is the best type of conversation or debate or interaction period why because both parties are getting educated and whoever is happened to be he, uh, listening to this or watching it is going to be educated too so uh, i am i am the type of person that i will talk and i will interact with people that think the completely opposite of me they com not to convince them 
but for them to show me why do they think that way because that is I don't want to convince anybody of anything but I find it fascinating why people think that way that they do that's why I'm a great believer in freedom of speech I know people don't like the hate speakers but it's important that they're there because it's like trying to dismiss it Adolf Hitler out of history we're not allowed to talk about him Although he was a highly influential man, I don't condone what he did, but he influenced the whole country in believing yes. his beliefs. Now, you've got to admire somebody like that. I'm not saying what he did was right, don't get me wrong there. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, in yeah, so, case somebody's listening and going, he likes Hitler, I don't like him. But I don't like Hitler, I, I just... Uh, if you looked at it properly in a historical terms and looked at it in the yes. scientific terms, you have to admire how he tapped into a country that was feeling like crap because we basically stripped them of everything after World War One and said, here, you've got nothing left, bye. And they, Germany after 1918 was left, they were in a very poor state. They was using wheelbarrows of money to buy a loaf of bread. And the ice cream van that just turned up. You, you have to actually acknowledge, because I am the kind of person that I love psychology, but I love more abnormal psychology. And many people think that, that, that it's really weird, but not necessarily. You have to understand why people do what they do. And when you talk about, for example, Adolf Hitler, he had a whole history before he became the Fuhrer. And that history, what happened to him, and the things that he did or was done to him, actually created the, that Fuhrer. It created, like you said, uh, it was desperate times, and people needed saving. So he presented himself as that savior, which is spine-chilling. When you convince people of any race, of any nationality, that they have to exterminate, that they have to take the life of the people that they want to blame as scapegoats, it's a very special and very unique space in their minds that they can say, yes, it is justified. And it's spine-chilling, because it wasn't one person, it wasn't two, it was... Technically, a, a whole, not, not only a whole nation, because he had followers all over the world, and he had supporters all over the world. So that mentality created the Fira. And he had other people, quote-unquote, underneath him or working work side by side him that had their own agendas. So looking at the whole picture, it is, it is very fascinating. As I say, I didn't mean it to be offensive if anybody's listening, but I just use that as an example. People, people think I've been wrong, but you, you look at it. You look at Donald Trump. No, no, people don't like him, and I can accept that. But he's learnt a lot of bit. He's learnt a little bit of the rhetoric of how to use, tap into people's psyche, from people like Hitler. And that's one of the reasons why why people compare to him. 
because he was mainly targeting a specific part of the nation, a specific demographic of people. <coughs> for, for example, that he, they were losing their shops, that they were losing their jobs. So they needed that as a scapegoat. And Mr. Trump, uh, he, he has a very public and very pathological story that is very public and everybody knows it, but he was targeting a specific part of the population and a population that it's in, own, in its own right, in their own mind, they were being oppressed. So, of course, and we have to understand that uh, I grew up in a very political family, but at the same time, I was never interested in participating the way that, for example, my grandmother or even my parents were. I was more in the sidelines. I was more trying to convey what these people were trying to do. And I learned very, on, very early on that these politicians had their own agendas, personal agendas. And for the common folk, for you and I, maybe that agenda is not even in the board. So we're not going to understand why they do the things that they do. And, but in the case of Mr. Trump, I guess there is more, there is a psychological component. There is a pathology there that I have been very worried about for ever since he got nominated. And I think he wasn't prepared to do all this, and that's no secret. Um, a man of law or a man that has groomed himself to actually have a position of power have they need to know themselves or at least and I'm I'm sorry to say this how to lie and Mr. Trump has certain issues that he should have resolved before he took office or maybe he shouldn't have taken office at all but it is what it is politics are very complicated and oh tell me about it we got thing called Brexit over in the UK. We voted for it, but we don't really yeah. want it. It's getting very, very complicated. To me, it was even to try to understand Brexit. It was it was a little confusing, and I started listening in YouTube certain comments. Of course, people over there uh, that were directly affected by it, and there's this sense of dread that in the last two years have just taken over the major countries. This, this desperation changes, and changes that are happening in the, in the back, uh, in behind closed doors that we're not aware of. <sighs> and unfortunately, a lot of people are paying the price for not being very informed or active in what goes on in their country. That's exactly what happened here. Nobody, nobody believed that the, the president of the United States, the current president of the United States, was going to win at all. So they didn't even bother going to vote. Most, uh, not most of them, a lot of them. There is a lot of things that are going to surface in the next couple of months that is going to destroy the perception for every party involved 
every party, all the parties that are involved are going to be shell-shocked by the things that are going to transpire, but it was necessary. But no, there's, necessary. No, there's no difference between the parties, especially over here, because basically they're saying both the same thing, and one's got a, con a bit of a controversial um, leader, Who's done? Is a bit left wing, and he's been accused of certain things. Whether they're true or not, I don't know. But yet again, as you said, he should realise that before he took power and owned yes. up to it. Uh, in in the case of, of Mr. Trump, every every leader, every when you look at the, for example, the presidents of the United States, they were not all moral people then that's, that's, that's something that everybody knows. But nowadays, people are more informed, and the activists in every single category are more active. They have more access, and we have more access for information. Back in the day, only a person that could afford a telly would be able to see the, watch the news or afford the newspaper. And that information was technically compromised by the people that were actually doing the articles. But now it's almost impossible to escape what politicians say, what they do, in the what context, get them in their, in their moments of weakness, to say the least. And it's getting harder and harder for them to be apologetic about it, because people are not only paying attention, but they're asking for results. And not everybody can get what they want unless they pay. And that is very sad and it's very disturbing, but it's the truth. And in order to change those ways of doing things, we have to change the whole system. How people are going to change the whole system is by being the solution with the one that is already in place. And that is going to take a while. No. Is there any links you'd like to mention before we go off air? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you guys can find me in Facebook at Nan Celeste. I have uh, my page Knowledge from Behind the Veil. Um, and also the groups are by that name also. Or in Block Talk Radio on the Rift Network. If you can put those links in your... Facebook page for me. I'll put them all on my blog post. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I like to sign off, and it's a little bit of a strange sign off, but don't be frightened. <laughs> and the phone's even agreeing with me. Look, see? I think you've got a secret ice cream man in the corner. Because that phone definitely sounds like an ice cream man. It's a key say, like an ice cream man. You haven't got an ice cream man, have you? Yes, yes. Right, it's are you ready? While, yeah. Are you ready, Anan? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Thank you, Anan, for being on my show. It was a great chat, you know. I liked what we debated. It was very interesting, you see. Thank you from that bloke in Britain. Ta-ta, bye-bye. Thank you very much. That is the end. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs>
and welcome to the Halsey March Show. And today I am talking to Anan Saletti. is an interfaith occult teacher and ordained minister. Even though her formal education is nursing and emergency medicine, according to study, world religions captured her attention at early age. With 28 years of research and practice of rituals, Anan Saletti collaborates and still teaches coronial scripture from different denominations and backgrounds through private and public workshops it is her intention to create spaces for people to ask questions and find answers about complementary and ancient practices she hosts knowledge from behind the veil a pagan inclined podcast for rift network hi and then and how are you today <laughs> I'm very thankful and very, very thankful, very grateful for being here today with you. Now, can you explain a little bit about your bio, about the ancient beliefs? Uh, absolutely. I've always been fascinated with old classics like the Iliad and, and Plato and Socrates. So uh, when I got a hold of of the Divine Comedy when I was 13 years old, I knew that I was hooked. I knew that that was something that I really wanted to immerse myself in, in ancient beliefs, ancient stories. And I was already on a path of self-defining spirituality, to put it that way. So I really needed to see where it all started. I'm a very analytical person, so I need that cause and effect type of explanation. And that led me to dig in everything that had to do with the religion of the place that I grew up in. It was mainly Christian. And I wanted to find out more about that. Aside from being devotees, aside from the faithful, the pure backcourse story of what we have and we know regarding our place in the world, to say the least. So that's mainly how it started. Uh, what inspired guess, you to get into this? Sorry? What life event inspired you to suddenly look into this more deeply? Wow. Uh, I, <laughs> it, is, it is a very funny story. I guess I was in a place in my life that I needed to know for sure that there was something bigger than myself out there. Uh, I was always obsessed with everything that had to do with science and if I wanted to find something that I could actually, not prove, but to have something tangible that I could actually study. I, I needed to find all those answers and it wasn't, and I, I also knew that I wanted to dedicate my life to that. <laughs> Believe it or not, by my, I was, uh, how may I say this? I, I lived in many places when I was growing up. I was never fixed in one place. So I was, uh, I was 
shown many ways of people reaching or trying to find out about their own spirituality, in, especially when it comes to witchcraft. There is this thing that I say that the most devout monotheistic people, being uh, Christian, Judaism, or even Islam and other faiths, they have a core archaeological reason why they share so many things with the pagan cultures. And back then, I was in a Catholic academy. I started noticing that the more that I studied, the more links I could draw from what we practice right now and those ancient rituals that we get to read and see in documentaries. And I wanted to find out why. And the only, the only reason that I could think about was trying to uncover something, this big secret, when in reality it's not a big secret, it's just we don't pay attention to it. That definitive moment in my life was, was I was at the brink of choosing being a Carmelite nun. I was going to do what I set out to do. It was a life of service, a life of, uh, of dedicating myself not only to God but to the church. And at the same time, when I started noticing certain things, certain, ans uh, certain questions that wouldn't be answered, that's when I said to myself, I better know what I'm getting myself into. It's like getting into an arranged marriage. You really have to be sure if you're going in blind. I didn't want to go in blind. So that's how it all started when I was 15 years old. And I think that was, that was the catalyst. That was the catalyst. I was put in a position whether or not I believe what I said I was believing in. So I'm a terrible liar, so I had to say, I had to tell the priest, I'm sorry, there is a lot of questions that I need answered first. And I never looked back. But there's a, I mean, when you look at religions, especially the Christian religion, they have borrowed a lot from the pagan beliefs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was one of my first. I wasn't surprised. I, it just made me laugh. The farther I dig, the more correlations I found into the development of those new religions. And when I say new religions, I meant everything that was after the Bible was written, or may I say, edited, for the sake of creating this whole new movement. But the more I, the more I thought about it. Uh, Beliefs and practices have this very unique way of surviving, even though they change or they go through this metamorphosis. It's the same dog with a different color, I used to tell people. But it's the same thing. Yeah, it's, I it think it's become thing. more under the wicker um, uh, banner yes. now, isn't it? I was that talking was to someone earlier about this. Sorry? I was talking to someone earlier about this, about the connection with paganism and that. Uh, I, I was raised by people that had, after five generations of practicing spiritualism, and that is not the same thing as being Wiccan, or it, it's a combination of mediumship with channeling. Uh, it was very famous during the 20s and the 30s especially during the war, when widows and parents of the soldiers would seek mediums and 
channelers to actually trying to contact the spirit of the dead. I I have I found that my great great grandfather and so did his son and so did um, her. Uh, my grandmother also practice it. It wasn't something that we should we'd advertise or none of us would advertise, but it was treated with respect. And the minute that I realized that my grandmother being, she was an educator, she was a superintendent, she worked for the educational department. So uh, it was a serious person that actually valued information and valued proof. So that's how I started to study it, to practice it on the other hand. By the time that I realized that I had been practicing ritual ever since I was seven years old, it was quite a shock to me, because to me all of that was very normal. And when somebody from the outside, oh, that's witchcraft, and I said, what witchcraft? What is witchcraft? I wasn't acquainted with that specific term. and. The people that I knew didn't know about Wiccans either, so it was a very negative connotation. Um, and that's exactly the, the first information that I received, that it was something bad, that it was sort of, uh, something demonic. And opening the doors for something negative to happen, even though I never saw it that way, I never felt it that way, and that was never my experience. On the other hand, I realized that that was a cultural thing in the place that I grew up when I grew up in the Caribbean. Uh, these were very devout people. They were very Christian. So, of course, they were going to have a bias to anything that didn't have to do with their type of practices and their type of ritual and belief. When I watched a program about Buddhism. I found it very interesting because they showed you the good side and the bad side. And I think that every, whatever belief you believe in, it's the way you treat it, if whether you want to use it for good or bad. I don't think, I think it's people that use it, not, not the actual belief. And you are absolutely correct. That's another thing that I was absolutely sure. I have met a lot of people that during their Sunday they would go to church and by the time they would come back home, they were actually conjuring something to hurt their neighbor. So to me, it was very clear that it's not the practice per se, it's the individual. When it comes to witchcraft, they either want to put you in the category of light or the category of the darkness. If a person, and I deal with people like this, and some of my students started this way, that they're in a very dark tunnel that they're very depressed, they're very angry at their life and the people around them, and they only want to seek satisfaction or revenge, or in their minds, protecting themselves from those people that are trying to harm them, then the consequences. And unfortunately, they only found out that by doing that, they were getting deeper and deeper into that dark hole. Then we have these other types of people that consider themselves to be selfish, to be self-serving, or to be completely unaffected by what happens to other people. And yet, they are still capable of doing something completely selfless, with no attachments, with no thanks. So it isn't every one of us to do harm or to do something good with it. 
is part of the human condition. But to label it as an absolute, that somebody's all light or somebody's just completely lost in darkness, it's, uh, it's false and, and fortunately, fortunately, it only takes awareness to figure that one out. Well, I have a weird theory, and I don't mean this offensively, so don't take it wrong. I believe that God is a schizophrenic. And my, the reason behind this... I have this, heard that before. <laughs> uh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, my thing is because God... We are made to be, made, believed to be made in God's image, as it quotes in many uh, Bibles and religious beliefs. And we are both good and evil. So that's my little theory. I find it amazing how by a couple of years ago, I was having this conversation with uh, this, this pastor and his assistant, and I couldn't help myself, and I asked him, have you really read this book? From, not from a religious point, not from a faith-based point, like a textbook, have you ever read it this way? And he said, no. Because it's it's amazing. It looks like an account from a uh, a person that has severe dissociative mental disorder. Uh, and then I mentioned, is it? Yeah, he's fully schizophrenic. And on top of it, he has the ego of a god, literally. So if we are created from his image, then there is a lot to say. There is a lot to say about his his makeup. As a deity, there is this scientist that he was asked, why don't you have faith? Why don't you believe in God? And his, his answer was priceless. It's, there is only two things to say yay or nay about God. If he is all good and all powerful, then he really has some serious issues. So before I fall into the category of people that think that God hates them, I prefer to pretend that he's just not there. And <laughs> that, that says a lot. It says a lot. We were raised, especially after, after this church break broke away, thanks to, the, uh, to Martin Luther, and the Protestant movement came about and got disintegrated to the point that it's almost unrecognizable from what happened in the Council of Nicaea and the intent of the Emperor Constantine for the uh, for the Christian Church to be like, which was completely based in pagan mythologies and pagan rituals. To this day, it's still, it is the way it is. It wasn't until then that people started ignoring on purpose all the sociopathic, all the murders uh, that are depicted in the Bible as favors of God or as a punishment or as something that it just needed to do because he had an agenda. And we fell into the trap of being afraid of that God, uh, God figure, that father figure, to a terrifying, let's not disturb him because he will punish us. He loves us so much that he prepare a place in the middle of the void so we're not close to him. All of those things can be very 
traumatic for any believer. I know that it, it's really traumatic for me. <coughs> Sorry. But people pretend or try, they're so afraid of the concept of what is God? Who is he? Is it a she, a she or just a force or, or what have you? We are afraid to ask certain questions because we're afraid of the punishment. And that type of thinking prevents people from ever moving forward. And then they cherry pick and they pick and choose whatever rules they think that they can get away with. So that's another thing that it's <laughs> that is still to this day very funny to me. Well, I, I know for a fact that I saw a series on Channel 5 over here in the UK about the um, female disciples and the fact that Emperor Constantine wrote them out of the Bible. There is hundreds of examples in the Bible of female prophets, teachers, or central figures to the, to the different stories. Uh, it's a real shame that it's either the mother, the, the prostitute, or... <laughs> wow. Or the traitor. So, we have to understand that, unfortunately, unfortunately, for back then, females were not, they were seen as property. They had the same value as a donkey. But since they had to come up with a, with a cohesive story of why things happened the way that they happened, they had to put women into that category. Either they're witches and liars and conjurers and seducers, or they are this pure and pious, which very few women in the Bible actually enjoyed that category. And I can only think of two examples, two or three examples. Yeah, but, women but, full of flaws. Yes? Like you said, when you said, if you read it as a textbook that like you just mentioned, you'll be thinking, my God, this is so politically incorrect. Back then, it was perfectly normal. Back then, men would actually marry off their daughters after being raped, as long as the perpetrator would actually ask for their her hand in ma marriage, he would not go to jail or face prosecution, and the young lady or the child would actually find a husband, and then he would have to pay repair, uh, repair to the child's uh, father. It's very cultural. Now, for us, it would be considered barbaric. 3,000, 4,000 years ago, it was uh, every day, uh, Tuesday, uh, every Tuesday. So it's all about the cultural aspects of it. And we have to be aware of that, too. Do you think over time that... Um, I don't mean this to be offensive, but like, you know when you say a story, I would use an example. You catch a fish in a river, and you go back home, you say... Oh, that fish was at least four foot long. It was only like three inches or something. Because you want to exaggerate a little bit. I'm not saying that the Bible, the Quran or anything is exaggerated. But we all do it. It's a natural process that humans do. Do you think that's possible? Uh, there, is a, there was a joke of a specific um, religious figure that was done in the 80s that said, 
we don't lie, we just exaggerate. And I found it really funny because uh, that is another part of our human condition. And at the same time, we have to realize that in the same way that today, you can find a person that, for example, believes in angels, but just as an abstract. And then we have other people that would swear that they have seen them, interacted with them, been saved by them, having full-blown conversations with an ethereal being. Back then, when a man would say, I went to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and I received revelation, he would become a prophet. Nowadays, anybody would say something, somebody, something like that, they will win a seven-day stay at a mental institution. So, or, or a magazine deal. Stories. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the Rift Network? That's okay. Can you tell me a little bit about the Rift Network? Because I like the concept, and I just wish, like the listeners, to understand a little bit more about it. The Rift Network, uh, they have been my teachers. They have been my friends. They have been this amazing family of not only podcasters but they're also teachers on their own respect they they were it was founded by uh mr howie odell and miss sheila gay and they have all this they, ha, they have grouped up very different shows different shows every night with different topics some of them are paranormal some of them are highly spiritual we have social commentary and it is, we, cre- they, we created this network to give a voice with a wide range of topics, like I said, from spiritual, paranormal, authors, to crime, cryptozoology, including Bigfoot, Yetis, unidentified flying objects, uh, culture legends like Slenderman, and, and so much more. I, I could talk on and on of all the different topics that they have covered and we're going to cover throughout the, the year. But it is a very close-knit family that we have helped each other. I have been, I didn't know anything about podcasting until I arrived in the network. Most of the time I was doing interviews with other people like I'm doing right now. And that's how Mr. Odell actually found me. He in, in interviewed me in his show last year. And that's how this whole thing started. Do you enjoy podcasting? I did. I, I did making lives on, on YouTube, but, and because I also do YouTube, and I started doing in the Facebook lives uh, last year, too. And I thought that even though my brother had given me the advice about three years ago, you should do a podcast, I I wasn't sure until I did it, and it really changed my life. It really changed my life because we can reach people at a very deep level. Uh, I'm a person that loves radio. I'm not, not exactly a TV person, so... And those tidbits of information, you never know who you're going to help. So that was my main motivation, at least in the beginning, 
to actually have that podcast to talk about the things that nobody else wanted to talk about for fear of being judged I <laughs> I I hide behind that screen and hide behind that microphone and it gives you a freedom that I wouldn't change it for anything in the world well that's how I started I started back in 22nd of the 12th 2017 I thought no I like to talk and I like to talk to people and find out about things so I'll give it a go and I think I'm doing all right I've got quite a lot of people that like me I managed to even get my own offered a radio show on a different network who let me do a live show on a Sunday which is interesting. It's a different concept doing a radio show to podcasting, but I like the idea. I like a challenge, and I like. I agree with you. You can hide behind the microphone, because I find YouTube can be a bit restrictive sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. That is true. And another good point about audio, and this is probably concerns men and women. If you do a late night podcast and it's like three o'clock in the morning, like he's here, <laughs> I could be in my pajamas and it doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. That was one of the perks. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to do your you don't have to rush around doing your makeup or in a man's case, probably drilling your hair or making sure your T shirt looks exactly the right shade and You've had a shave and all that kind of thing. It is, it is a blessing when you can have your 24th century uh, dream job, to say the least, and you don't have to get out of your pajamas. That's one of the perks. And I have a very simple setup. I don't know what your setup is. My setup is a smartphone app, which I'm talk- recording with now, and I'm talking to you with an Amazon Fire's tablet and that is as technical as I ever want to get <laughs> by the time <coughs> I arrived to the Rift Network and started doing the show per se as a podcast I was already been a, a YouTuber for a couple of years so I had to get acquainted with all the quirks of boards but never for a radio show though that uh, took me a while to learn how to play with a console and and check that everything was good. I am not a really social media type of person, but I force myself to learn that in this day and age, we don't get our information like we used to. That was only on the tele and the television and the newscast in the television. Now it's through social media. That's how connections are being made. That's how people find not only their information, but contacts. And I find it fascinating how technology has taken us to this place in this day and age. It's being able to talk to people in different countries. Like, I can talk to you now. I'm time traveling, technically, and talking to you in another country at the same time. Because people say, you're not time traveling. But of course I am, technically, because it's 0.33 a.m. as I'm speaking to you in the UK, and I think it's gone 7 o'clock Californian time. It's 7.33 at night. 
So there you are. We are technically, I am in the next day, and you are still in the previous day. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> people, people think that theory is mad about this theory, but then when I explained it to them, I said it's not a proven theory, but I, I have technically time travelled. Quantum leap. <laughs> it's, it, 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 yeah, I used to love that show. I watched I I watched it when it wasn't a cult series. I like I liked it when it, it used to be on a channel over here called BBC Two, and I watched it from the first episode right to the last episode, and people uh, people only got into it by about the second season, and I said to them, Oh no, I've been watching it for a long time. It's one of those shows that grew as a cult show. don't we we take this technology that we we as human beings are created we take it completely for granted and it's like it, it, it's become like a uh, a fodder for play I would call it you know the silly stuff that goes on the internet which I don't mind but some of it goes a bit OTT ish say it's a theory that I don't know if you believe in UFOs or not but that the aliens have visited us oh, you would be surprised. are actually <laughs> human beings or us revisiting ourselves because we've advanced so much and but, it makes sense if you think about it uh, if you try to analyze how human beings would look like in a distant future description of the grey would come to mind. Bigger heads, small limbs, because we're not going to be using them as much. 
So, and the communication between human beings, it is changing. Now, it is a little easier for people to be comfortable uh, being an empath and being telepathic. So, it's not a far-fetched theory, if, but thinking about it is kind of sad because what happened in the future? The rest of the theory is that um, something happened, we did something that we could no longer reproduce. And that's one, one of the stories and one of the theories for why they come back and they do experiments or collect samples of tissue or so on and so forth. That's one of the most popular theories that there is out there. I wonder if it's to do with global warming. Because I know people say global warming does not exist. I think um, this year is proving that it does exist. This is a scientific fact. And the, the sad part of the whole story is that if it wasn't for the interests of big corporations, if it wasn't for the money flowing back and forth from gas and petroleum and all of those natural resources to make fuel, we would have, since Nikola Tesla's uh, discoveries of how to use and distribute light more effective, uh, electricity, electricity more effectively, we wouldn't be using carbon-based fuels to this day. But unfortunately, we have to we have to take care of our own planet because if we wait until the governments do, our grandchildren will not have a happy place to live. Now, do you believe that... I was talking to someone about the connection of if we all join together. Now, I'll give you an example. Um, sure. Armistice Day or Remembrance Day. The whole world stops for two minutes. We all join in respect for those who died both sides, and the innocents that died as well. We all join together in this mass silence. Now, if I was an alien flying around and visiting, I'd think, wow, that's impressive. I, that is the best way of putting it. We have to put ourselves in their shoes. Because if that is if that is true, if the UFO alien or not not only extraterrestrial but intraterrestrial alien theory, why would they intervene? Why would they try? We are an, we are an, a very unique species that try to kill ourselves and kill everything that we have around us. So it's based on violence and territory and. Very archaic, archaic beliefs. Maybe they're just waiting that we evolve a little bit. Maybe, just maybe. Well, the potential's there, isn't it? To protect us from blowing, from blowing ourselves up. You look at the good deeds people do. They don't get mentioned sometimes because it's the bad news that has to be on all the time. Those are the ones that sell, I guess. So, I think. I mean, obviously, if a tragedy happens, it's sad. And like the one in Italy lately with the boot bridge. And I feel sorry for all the people that have had to go into the funerals and had to tell, uh, go into Vendivide bodies and all that. It's not a great job. 
And they get underrated. They get forgotten about. Yeah, that is true. The world is full of tragedies, preventive tragedies. And we're addicted to pain. We're addicted to drama. We're addicted uh, to what I call lives of soap opera, that everything has to be a tragedy. And like you said, when people join in, in a moment of silence or in a moment of prayer or in a moment of meditation, like, I think it was, uh, it was at the beginning of this month that there is this global movement, harmonic convergence, that at the same time all over the world people actually start meditating on trying to mend and heal what it's broken. That is a very powerful thing and you would be surprised how many people out there are trying to do these events more frequently and to reach farther. Now we can do that, in, for example, in Facebook and or in YouTube, but most than not is, fa is Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where people get together to do these types of, I call it healing ceremonies, because that's what we need. Yes, I think we've got, I think, as you go, I quite agree, because I still think that we have an element of early man still in us, because early man had to adapt to the situation, the nature of the environment that he lived in. So therefore, he had to be highly perceptive. I think that little bit of element is still in us. Because we recognise how important it is. We, even though, even though, and I have to admit it, that in the last 30 years, we have become more and more dependent to technology and what I called uh, fake food. <laughs> we got addicted to all of those things. But more and more, people fighting cancer and fighting other things that could have been prevented if it wasn't for our habits and our way of of uh, feeding ourselves and the contamination of our environment. Now we have, we know what we did. We are recognizing what we did. And now we're getting out of that stage that let somebody else clean it, let somebody else do it. I saw this, uh, it wasn't a documentary, it was more like a news piece this lawyer in India. India has a horrible contamination problem. <coughs> and he decided to take it upon himself to actually clean the beach that he grew up in. I wish you could have, you could have seen the tons and tons and thousands of tons of trash and just one person that involved his community. And then the government felt a little ashamed that they were not doing anything, so they joined the fund. And they got to clean that beach. Some, uh, something that, they, that the scientific community said that it could take over 10 years, 20 years to clean up. He did it in two years. So there is hope. There is people out there that really care. So I'm still cheering for them. I'm still cheering for us. I think, I think we have to. I think yes. I think we are, as you say, I think we've come up, 
I call it Popcorn for the Brain Society. Because you think of it, it why do why why did I say popcorn? Because you eat a little bit, you think oh, I want a bit more. I oh, know I'll have never a bit, and we come a bit like goldfish. We we watch things, and we don't retain it because it's yeah. become the same thing. You can watch, just say, Love Island, for. Weed and one, for example, and then you can watch another show, and it'll be exact copy of it, exactly the same formation as that. Everything they'll call it a different name. And you're thinking, I watch yes. this, and you just switch off. It's zombie television. Somebody told me that not long ago that we ran out of ideas, so we're going to recycle what best works to keep us entertained. So I guess that when they find some a formula that quote unquote works to keep us in line, and like you said, the golf uh, the fish or the goldfish that has a six point zero second time lapse of attention. Yes, we are the kind of creatures that we will look for the new shiny thing and we have been sold all these impossible things to reach so we are living a pretend life every time that we turn on the television or we watch a movie we want we want to be like the hero we want to be the superhero or the spy or uh, or in some cases for some people the serial killer or <laughs> Or the bad guy. I don't. I mean, don't, don't be wrong. I don't. I, I like escapism like anybody else because that's what it is. Escapism. I mean, when you actually yes. was to watch a film properly, and you was just you was play, you'd sit down explain the film to someone. They were going, he did what? He went on a skyscraper, and it was burning, and he didn't get burnt, and then he jumped through a window, and he didn't get cut. Yeah, you know, like in these action films, they never yeah. get cut, they never get burnt. But we completely believe it for one hour and 30 minutes or whatever long film it is. Because we want to. Because that's how it works. Indeed. <laughs> that is true. We need that window. We need that moment. The same of a good, the same of a good conversation. When you have a good debate, and both sides are having, you know, <laughs> you might disagree a little bit, but it doesn't get heated. You just shake your hand and say, "Come on, that was a really good debate." I still don't believe what you say, but I like what you, how you come across. That is the best type of conversation or debate or interaction period why because both parties are getting educated and whoever is happened to be he, uh, listening to this or watching it is going to be educated too so uh, I am I am the type of person that I will talk and I will interact with people that think the completely opposite of me they come not to convince them 
but for them to show me why do they think that way because that is I don't want to convince anybody of anything but I find it fascinating why people think that way that they do that's why I believe believer in freedom of speech I know people don't like the hate speakers but it's important that they're there because it's like trying to dismiss it Adolf Hitler out of history we're not allowed to talk about him Although he was a highly influential man. I don't condone what he did. But he influenced the whole country in believing yes. his beliefs. Now, you've got to admire somebody like that. I'm not saying what he did was right. Don't get me wrong there. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah so, in case somebody's listening and going, he likes Hitler. I don't like him. But I don't like Hitler. I, I just... Uh, if you looked at it properly in a historical terms and looked at it in yes. the scientific terms, you have to admire how he tapped into a country that was feeling like crap because we basically stripped them of everything after World War One and said, here, you've got nothing left, bye. And they, Germany after 1918 was left, they were in a very poor state. They was using wheelbarrows of money to buy a loaf of bread. And the ice cream van that just turned up. You, you have to actually acknowledge, because I am the kind of person that I love psychology, but I love more abnormal psychology. And many people think that, that, that it's really weird, but not necessarily. You have to understand why people do what they do. And when you talk about, for example, Adolf Hitler, he had a whole history before he became the Fuhrer. And that history, what happened to him, and the things that he did or was done to him, actually created the, that Fuhrer. It created, like you said, uh, it was desperate times, and people needed saving. So he presented himself as that savior, which is spine-chilling. When you convince people of any race, of any nationality, that they have to exterminate, that they have to take the life of the people that they want to blame as scapegoats, it's a very special and very unique space in their minds that they can say, yes, it is justified. And it's spine-chilling, because it wasn't one person, it wasn't two, it was... Technically, a, a whole, not, not only a whole nation, because he had followers all over the world, and he had supporters all over the world. So that mentality created the Fira. And he had other people, quote-unquote, underneath him or working work side by side him that had their own agendas. So looking at the whole picture, it is, it is very fascinating. As I say, I didn't mean it to be offensive if anybody's listening, but I just use that as an example. People people think I've been wrong, but you you look at it, you look at Donald Trump. Now, I know people don't like him, and I can accept that, but he's learnt a little bit. He's learnt a little bit of the rhetoric of how to use, tap into people's psyche from people like Hitler. Yes, and that's one of the reasons why why people compare to him 
because he was mainly targeting a specific part of the nation, a specific demographic of people. <coughs> for, for example, that he, they were losing their shops, that they were losing their jobs. So they needed that as a scapegoat. And Mr. Trump, uh, he, he has a very public and very pathological story that is very public and everybody knows it, but he was targeting a specific part of the population and a population that it's in, own, in its own right, in their own mind, they were being oppressed. So, of course, and we have to understand that uh, I grew up in a very political family, but at the same time, I was never interested in participating the way that, for example, my grandmother or even my parents were. I was more in the sidelines. I was more trying to convey what these people were trying to do. And I learned very on, very early on that these politicians had their own agendas, personal agendas. And for the common folk, for you and I, maybe that agenda is not even in the board. So we're not going to understand why they do the things that they do. And, but in the case of Mr. Trump, I guess there is more, there is a psychological component. There is a pathology there that I have been very worried about for ever since he got nominated. And I think he wasn't prepared to do all this, and that's no secret. Um, a man of law or a man that has groomed himself to actually have a position of power, have, they need to know themselves, or at least, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, how to lie, and Mr. Trump has certain issues that he should have resolved before he took office, or maybe he shouldn't have taken office at all, but it is what it is, politics are very complicated, and oh, for tell me us, about it. We got thing called Brexit over in the UK. We voted for it, but we don't really want it. It's getting very, very complicated. To me, it was even to try to understand Brexit. It was it was a little confusing, and I started listening in YouTube certain comments. Of course, people over there uh, that were directly affected by it, and there is this sense of dread that in the last two years have just taken over the major countries. This, this desperation changes and changes that are happening in the, in the back, uh, in behind closed doors that we're not aware of. And unfortunately, a lot of people are paying the price for not being very informed or active in what goes on in their country. That's exactly what happened here. Nobody, nobody believed that the, the president of the United States, the current president of the United States, was going to win at all. So they didn't even bother going to vote. Most, uh, not most of them, a lot of them. There is a lot of things that are going to surface in the next couple of months that is going to destroy the perception for every party involved.
every party, all the parties that are involved are going to be shell-shocked by the things that are going to transpire, but it was necessary. But no, was there's, necessary. No, there's no difference between the parties, especially over here, because basically they're saying both the same thing, and one's got a, con a bit of a controversial um, leader, Who's done? Is a bit left wing, and he's been accused of certain things. Whether they're true or not, I don't know. But yet again, as you said, he should realise that before he took power and owned yes. up to it. Uh, in in the case of of Mr. Trump, every every leader, every when you look at the, for example, the presidents of the United States, they were not all moral people then that's, that's, that's something that everybody knows. But nowadays, people are more informed, and the activists in every single category are more active. They have more access, and we have more access for information. Back in the day, only a person that could afford a telly would be able to see the, watch the news or afford the newspaper. And that information was technically compromised by the people that were actually doing the articles. But now it's almost impossible to escape what politicians say, what they do, in the what context, get them in their, in their moments of weakness, to say the least. And it's getting harder and harder for them to be apologetic about it, because people are not only paying attention, but they're asking for results. And not everybody can get what they want unless they pay. And that is very sad and it's very disturbing, but it's the truth. And in order to change those ways of doing things, we have to change the whole system. How people are going to change the whole system is by being the solution with the one that is already in place. And that is going to take a while. No. Is there any links you'd like to mention before we go off air? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you guys can find me in Facebook at Nan Celeste. I have uh, my page Knowledge from Behind the Veil. Um, and also the groups are by that name also. Or in Blog Talk Radio on the Rift Network. If you can put those links in your... Facebook page for me. I'll put them all on my blog post. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I like to sign off, and it's a little bit of a strange sign off, but don't be frightened. <laughs> and the phone's even agreeing with me. Look, see? I think you've got a secret ice cream man in the corner. Because that phone definitely sounds like an ice cream man. Because it keeps saying, do, 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 like an ice cream man. You haven't got an ice cream man, have you? Yes, yes. Right, it's are you ready? While, yeah. Are you ready, Anan? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Thank you, Anan, for being on my show. It was a great chat, you know. I liked what we debated. It was very interesting, you see. Thank you from that bloke in Britain. Ta-ta, bye-bye. Thank you very much. That is the end. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs>